So Colossians 2 this morning. And last week we've been talking about hanging out with each other, spending more time with each other. And, and one of the, you know, the idea is that, that there are those uh, uh, that have faith that get lost and wander away from the faith. And the reason why that happens oftentimes is because of lack of, lack of fellowship. That's one reason why we do certain events, and, you know, like the Roundup and stuff. The Roundup's not about getting out there and being goofy and square dancing. And, you know, even though it's, it can be a lot of fun for those that want to be goofy and have a lot of fun in that way. But it's not about the square dance. It's about hanging out. It's about laughing with each other and, and sometimes at each other. And that's okay. But, uh, you know, it's about that fellowship that we have, building up one another. Now, beyond that, there's another benefit. We start to rub off on each other when we hang out with each other. And hopefully that means the good parts of us rub off on each other. You know what I'm saying? I, I've noticed that uh, when Brandon, Brandon hangs out with different friends, he starts to act like them or even talk like them and, and different things. And, and, you know, 90% of the time, and that, is, that is totally fine. But another way to look at it is like this. The more we hang out, the more people start to talk and act like us. You see, flip it around. How do you act, and then how do other, if somebody emulates you, how's that going to come across? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? You know, Brandon's in pre-K, and uh, his teacher tells us at school that uh, he has influenced the kids when it comes to the Lego building skills. I mean, he's just like coming up with all these different things. And every day when I arrive to go pick him up, he's like, Daddy, take a picture of this. And he comes running over, and, I t- and, and she cracks up because she goes, you're so enthused every time to take pictures of his stuff. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to be like, oh, okay, bring it over, you know. So I act all enthused, and now all the kids come running over. They've been building Legos, and they all set them down. And I have to take not only one picture. i got a p- picture from this angle. And then they turn them, this angle, then they turn all four sides, the top, and then they flip them over and I have to take a picture of the bottom. I mean, it's, it's crazy, you know? But they're all kind of feeding off each other. They're all acting the same way. And here's the thing. The more we hang out with someone, the more we usually end up acting like them. It's a natural phenomenon. Uh, there's some special psychological name that I could go look up, but, but we all know it's true, so I didn't look it up. So now, when it comes to being in Christ, if we are in Christ more often, who do we start looking like? Christ. Exactly right. So as a group, as a church, if we're in Christ more often, we begin to look like and act like Christ. We can know the right things to do, And we can do the right things in life. But if we're not in Christ, does it matter? You see, grace is the key. Without grace, it doesn't really matter. As a church, we need more grace. As a a believer in God, we need more grace. Because when a person comes to church, if if we don't have grace, then they walk out feeling worse because of sin, right? Right? Because, I mean, primarily one of the jobs that I have is to teach the Word of God and how it tells us not to sin, right? I mean, we read the Bible, and the Bible tells us how to act. And basically it says, well, you're supposed to be full of grace. You're supposed to be full of truth and supposed to be full of God. 
so therefore, we look at our lives and sometimes we go, Ooh, uh, well, that area. And if we don't have grace when we do that, a person leaves feeling hurt. They leave feeling like there's no grace in their life. And this is one of the things that you cannot get from anywhere else. The only place that you can get grace is from God. The only place. Because you don't have to be a Christian to help the poor. You don't have to be a Christian to feed the homeless. You don't have to be a Christian to to build an orphanage. Everyone can do these things. You can have high moral standards and not be a believer in the one true God. But what is one thing that you cannot get that only God offers? Grace. The world does not offer grace. And then when we do these things, like you know, going out there and helping the homeless or feed the poor or, or, or work with children and all this, we do it with grace and we offer that part of God to them. So in this text that Paul is writing to the Colossians, he is very concerned about grace. Grace always has to be offered by God. Yet the ultimate expression of this grace was Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. Jesus being nailed to that cross to take our sin. That was the ultimate grace for us. And Paul uses a series of pictures for us starting in about verse 11. And Paul is making this very personal. So it's almost like, think of it like this. Paul is writing this letter to the Colossians, yes, but think of it as Paul is writing this letter to you because he is making this a very personal letter. Imagine that you're living back then. Imagine Paul is addressing grace in your own life, that when you screwed up, when you messed up, that grace covered you. In verse 11 it says, In him you were also circumcised and putting off off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Now the background of this is this. There were these legalistic people in Colossae that were trying to convince others into their way of thinking. And if you were new to the faith... If you were new, a new believer, which primarily the new believers were not Jewish, you had a lot of Jewish Christians, a lot of Jewish believers that, that came to the faith, and they, held, they were under what? The law. There were certain laws that Moses set up. So their struggle was that, that Christ superseded the law. So therefore, certain things didn't apply anymore. But they were still saying, if you, a Gentile who is not Jewish... Therefore, you were not circumcised as as a young man. So therefore, when you became a believer, you needed to be circumcised. Now, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, We're not going to go in that, right? Okay, now, it's bad enough if you have a child, especially a male child, uh, well, only a male child, watching them go through that. In fact, my wife was like, no, I'm not going in there. Uh, You know, that just wasn't her thing, you know. But imagine being an adult going through that process. So you have Jewish Christians trying to convince older men to do this. And Paul's saying, wait a second. Christ says, circumcised your heart. You're not not subject to the law anymore. There's grace here. And it says in verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul is talking about two issues here. Circumcision and baptism. In the Old Testament, 
To be a part of God's people, the men, like we said, had to be circumcised. This was the sign that God gave to Abraham, was that all the men who, who came under the faith needed to, to have this done. If I were Abraham, I'd be going, wait a second, God, you, you gave Noah a rainbow. And I'm getting circumcised. Can, can we, can we g- give me something else, you know? Of course, God didn't to set them apart. But what Paul is communicating is this. As a Gentile, you were excluded because you weren't circumcised. That's how they could tell whether you were Jewish or not. That was the ultimate sign of that. And now by the power of the Holy Spirit, he has circumcised your heart. So it doesn't matter if you've been circumcised anywhere else. But the Jewish Christians were saying, you need to be circumcised. And they were doing the same thing with, with certain other things like baptism and other stuff. And in verse 12, he goes, Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Paul is basically saying, Gentiles. Now, who's the Gentile? Raise your hand if you're a Gentile. Okay, all your hands. Anybody, any Jews here? Any Jewish Christians here? Okay, we're all Gentiles. That's what we're talking about here, okay? Uh, actually, technically, I guess we're Jews since we've been adopted into the family. But that's a whole other thing, you know, uh, that one day we might go into again. But anyway, basically they were saying, Gentiles, you are not part of the group. Now, we talked, I think, last week a little bit about this. But, you know, have you ever felt like you were not part of the group? You know, going back to Brandon's uh, uh, class, um, they every day and, and and people didn't like tell us these things when we had children and we have to learn these things ourselves apparently the week of of uh, of you know for halloween they dress up every day of the week we had no clue on this so we get this note coming home the first day is supposed to be pajama day Second day, superhero day and workout day and all that. But we got to the first day, and as we were leaving, Brandon's got his favorite pajamas on. He's all excited, but he had one thing. He stops and he goes, Daddy, can you double check? I, I don't know where he learns these words, but can you double check to make sure it is pajama day? He's very concerned. I'm like, well, well why? He says, well, I don't want the kids to point and laugh at me. He's just like us. We don't like to be, you know, on the outside. We don't like to be laughed at. We don't like to be looked at differently. And this is what they were doing. They were saying, guys, you Gentiles, you're looked at differently unless you do this, this, and this. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Grace has covered you. God has covered you in these areas. Don't, you're, not, you're not beholden to that law. And Paul is saying to the Gentiles, you are wanted. You are part of the family now. And then in verse 13, he goes on, he says, When you were dead in your sins and uncircumcised of, uh, in, in, in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. So he goes into another kind of word picture here. He basically says, you were dead in your circumstance. You were dead to God. You could not go anywhere near God because of your sinful nature. Yet 
then he made you alive in Christ because your guilt is now covered. Your sin is now covered. All of a sudden, we are alive to God. We have a reason. We have a hope. And death doesn't come with the, you know, the same meaning anymore. This is grace. This is what, what is called grace in our life. And he says this over and over. In fact, you go back to, to Colossians 1.13. It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we were in the darkness, we were stuck in, in the, the doom and gloom, and we had no hope until Christ came along. So Paul is reminding us, it is so easy for us to fall back into things. You know, in the last few weeks I've been kind of mentioning this, but I talked to a person the other day and, and uh, basically told them, words mean nothing, absolutely nothing. Because they're going, well, what if the person says, I'm sorry? Well, guess what? Sorry means jack. You see what I'm saying? I mean, my four-year-old, I'm trying to teach him that. I, I know I always talk about Brandon. Well, when Grayson gets old enough, I'll talk about him. He had, a, he had a really cool ninja outfit on, but I didn't put up a picture about it yet, you know. But, I mean, with Brandon, I'm trying to teach him. You know, anytime he does something, he automatically does what? Sorry. Sorry. And, and that, well, that, that covers it all, apparently. There's no consequence if you say sorry. And I'm trying to teach him, no, 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 no. Sorry doesn't mean anything. Now, I don't go, sorry doesn't mean jack. I don't talk to him like that, you know. But I'm trying to teach him that, that sorry doesn't quite get it sometimes. Because there's got to be actions behind that. There's got to, you know, either consequences or change the way you're doing things. Because sorry doesn't mean anything. If you change your attitude or if your action changes, that's when sorry means something. And we don't fall back into the same pattern of sin. Like Satan or our friends that keep saying, come to the dark side, you know. Darkness just, you know, darkness conceals things. So we think, right? We think darkness, you know, in the dark. I mean, that's why Halloween is so popular, you know. The fun all starts at dark, right? Because people don't always see what goes on. It's difficult to live in truth and difficult to live in the light. Because our human desire is drawn toward what? Darkness. That's what our human desire is. And it, and it fights us on it. There's a war going on inside of us. There are times when we don't want God around. When Brandon is doing something he shouldn't and he knows it, he will say, Daddy, don't look at me. That's first clue. I should look at him. We do this with God all the time. God, don't look. When I start to look over at Brandon, he stops and he looks guilty. When God looks at me, I stop and I look guilty. Or I pretend he's not there and I keep doing what I'm doing. See, we act like, you know, with God, we, we act like we have this right to privacy. You know, our, our nation is, is going through those privacy issues right now. And what rights do you have when it comes to your phone, your computer, and online, and all those things? But we, we try to do the same thing with God. No, no, no. This section of my life, this is mine, God. 
You leave this alone. And God's like, no, no, no. You don't have a right to privacy here, Alan. See, in the book of Revelation, it says that when, when, when God fully comes, his light will be unavoidable. Unavoidable. Those souls we choose to do wrong, or, or the souls that, that, that choose to do wrong, it's a, the scriptures say they will cry out in agony to the mountains and rocks, calling them down, land on us, cover us from being around the light. They would rather be killed, they would rather the mountains fall on them than to be in the truth and in the light. How sad is that? You know, this started really after the fall of man in the garden. God walked around and what did he say? Adam, Eve, where are you? Where are you? And they said what? I hid because I was so ashamed. They said, don't look at me, God. Don't look at me. You know, it's an interesting fact that hotels will not put what movies you watch in the hotel on the bill. Why is that? Well, they don't want to, if you want to watch whatever kind of movie you want to watch, your boss won't see what it is, your wife won't see what it is, your kids won't see what it is if they see the bill. Darkness. Darkness wants to to be hidden. Go ahead. No one will ever know at all. Don't look at me, God. A frustrated mom hurts her kids. Don't look at me, God. A worker deliberately uh, makes a co-worker look bad. Don't look at me, God. Someone makes bad financial decisions over and over and over. Don't look at me, God. A student cheats. Don't look at me, God. A person goes off on another person. Don't look at me, God. A dating couple that, you know, that wants to follow God yet continues to sleep together. Don't look at me, God. A person who, who keeps resentment in their life. Don't look at me, God. Now, do we say these things out loud? No. They're in our hearts. They're in our hearts. The darkness. There's an interesting phrase in the book of Jude. It says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. These are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And deny Jesus Christ, our sovereign Lord, our only sovereign, uh, sovereign and Lord. Don't look at me, God. I can just ask for forgiveness later because that's what grace is about. Don't look at me, God. See, the point of this verse is seeing what grace is and what grace is not. Grace is not a promise that God will give me all that I want. That is not what grace is. It does not mean that God is soft. It does not mean that I I have a license to sin because God's grace will cover whatever sin that I do. Now, will God's grace cover whatever sin I have? Absolutely. But does that mean I have a license to go out and, and, and sin as much as I want? No, absolutely not. That's an abuse of grace. Grace allows us to go through difficult times in our lives to bring us back to God. Have you ever thought about that? 
Grace allows you to go through a difficult time in your life to bring you back towards God. Because when we're down and out, when we're, we're on the bottom, who do we call out to? Mommy? Sometimes. But who do we really call out to? God. And He's there when we call. Grace teaches us along the way that, that it you know, allows us to sin without the ultimate punishment. And what is the ultimate punishment of sin? Death. Grace allows us to fade, but not to kill us. It gives us a chance to come back to God. Grace helps us come home to the Father. That's an amazing thing. Some of us have been in this place where we're saying, don't look at me, God. Don't don't look at me, God. Some of us have, have been away from God for a long, long time. And you know what? You've said, don't look at me, God. But grace is trying to get you to come to your senses. Trying to get you to. It's trying to get you back to God. To come and say, trust me. And this is what verse 12 says. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Through your faith, you have trusted God. He raised Jesus from the dead. Therefore, your sin is covered. Therefore, you will be raised from the dead. You will go to heaven to be with God. Trust me. See, trust is a hard thing, isn't it? We don't like to trust people because we've learned in this life there's not many people you can trust. Well, God is one of those people. Trust is a hard thing. Trust means giving in to God. Trust is the the power of God. But yet we want to control things. Trust is that, you know, giving that over to God is, is, you know, the same power that raised Christ is the same power that helps us get out of the darkness. See, everything rests on this one thing. Do you trust God or not? Do you trust Him? Do you trust God or will you continue to say, don't look at me, God? Don't look at me. He goes on and says, He forgives us of our sins, having concealed the written or canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. If we can trust Him, we can understand this. He took our sins with Him to the cross. That's what He did. He defeated it once and for all. He's describing what is happening behind the scenes of the crucifixion. And, that, you know, they understood this image that Paul is using, and, and we don't always quite understand it, but this idea that Jesus looked like, like the captive one. Jesus looked like he was the one that was down and out, yet he was the victor over sin. He was the victor over death. The Roman generals would strip their prisoners down and they would drag them through the the streets in victory. It was their way of humiliation, a victory parade, a public spectacle. So Paul is saying in this cosmic realm, this is exactly what Jesus did. We are in the light, and Paul says this many times, we are in the light of Jesus. 
We are in Jesus. It's like Paul is saying, don't you get it? I mean, don't you get it? Christ is enough. Christ alone. This is why we are set free, because of God's grace. Paul begins, actually, his letter with grace, and he ends the letter with grace. You know how we begin letters, right? Dear so-and-so. Whether that person is dear to us or not, we put dear so-and-so usually, right? Unless it's a text and it's different, you know. Normally, Greeks began the letter with uh, the word um, Cairo, which is kind of like our word dear. But he changes the Greek word to karos, which is grace. Then at the end of Colossians, he ends it with grace be with you. See, grace is the beginning, and grace is the benediction, and grace is everything in between. Paul is what, I mean, you know, grace is what knocked down Paul on his way to Damascus, right? I mean, you know, Paul's going out to kill Christians, and and Jesus approaches him and knocks him off the the horse and, and blinds him. Grace is what blinded him. And you would think that God was out to get him. No, God was trying to give him grace enough to come back to God, to understand God. It is how we receive forgiveness. It's what allows us to understand Jesus. It's how Paul lived with grace. Paul, you know, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul never forgot this in his life. And this brings us to a real serious question this morning. If grace is the one thing that God offers and we cannot get from anywhere else, then why do we leave it so easily? Why do we go over to the dark side so easily? Why do we leave grace on the table and walk away? Why don't we have more grace in our life? Why are the churches not filled with more grace? See, I think the answer is in, in verse 11 where, where Paul calls it our sinful nature. You know, Paul was all over this. In fact, in Romans 7, he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do, not if I, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the. Uh, I agree that the law is good as it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do, I do not want to do. This, is, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. Now, if you go back to this passage, you will see the word I 21 times. 21 times. 
Now look at verse 21. He says, so if I find this law at work, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of the body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. He talks about going Uh, you know, like this war that's going on within us, the internal war. And then in verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. He goes through and he's like, I, 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 and then do, 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 do not, do, do, you know, all that. He goes through all of that and then he finally gets it. You know, it's a good day when we finally get it. It's a good day when we say, look at all that I can and cannot do. And then you basically say, I cannot do this on my own. I need God's grace in my life. I can't keep making promises to God that I can't keep. I'm going to ask for help. And it's one of the things that I I keep trying to teach Brandon. I'll teach Grayson one day. Ask for help. Because I see it already. It's so funny. You know, and we've all gone through this as kids. And, and my son, he gets so frustrated when he can't do something. He's over there working with something. And he just goes, ah! And he'll just throw it down or set it down. Or, or he'll start hitting his leg or whatever. He gets so frustrated about it. I'm like, Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. I'm five feet from you. I asked for help. And we're like that with God. We get so frustrated with this life. And I can't do it. And God's like, Alan, I'm right here. What are you getting so frustrated about? Ask for help. To recognize, I can't do this on my own. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave slave to the law of sin. He's saying, I can't. But with God's grace, I can. And then you jump to Romans 8. And really, Romans 8 is just the next verse. We divided all, we put all the divisions in there. But Romans 8 is just the next uh, sentence that he has in there. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Grace is the answer for our lives. You have been set free. You don't have to live in that cycle of sin anymore. You don't have to go through that cycle anymore. He took that sin and it's now been canceled. And we are free. Our chains are set free. You know, on December 18th, 1865, the 13th Amendment was passed. It abolished slavery. It's a good day for our country. Now, on December 19th, how many slaves were there? Technically, none. But a lot of people remained slaves. Do you know why? Well, a couple of reasons. One is their owners suppressed the truth. Think of it like Satan suppressing the truth of God giving us grace to free us. But their owners suppressed the truth. Oh, no, no, that's that's a rumor. You're still my slave. Don't worry. Or secondly, some people heard the truth. 
but refused to accept the truth. I was born a slave, I will die a slave. Well, in the spiritual realm, we've done the same thing. Satan has suppressed the truth. And some of us know the truth, but we refuse to accept the truth. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer labeled sinners. We're labeled saints. That's why Paul, if you read you know, over and over as Paul begins the, the book, he says, to all the saints in Colossae. He's calling us saints. He's not to all the sinners, to all you dogs, to all you people who are not following the law, to, to all you people who, who have sin in your life. I need to straighten you out with this letter. No, he's saying to all you saints, to all you people who are struggling along those things, God has come to set you free. See, we are already the children of God, and it's just a matter of starting to become more like Jesus, more like God. We are the children of God. Our adopted son, he doesn't have to do anything to be considered my son. He is already my son. It's the same way with God. I don't have to do anything else to be a child of God. I am already a child of God because I've accepted him in my life. When you know who you are in Christ, it starts to change how you live. When you come to realization that you are set free, that you don't have to be beholden to sin, it changes how you live. It changes how you look at things. Because your behavior starts to match with those you hang out with. And one of those that you hang out with is Jesus Christ himself. And your behavior starts to be like that. You start to look like the people you hang out with. Now, hopefully you think that is a good thing. Let's go back to Colossians 2, 6 and 7. He says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. How did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Through grace. Through grace. Through faith. So through faith, we continue in Him. Through faith, we're rooted in Him. And through faith, we're built up in Him. And later, he says, we have been given this fullness of God. So we've been given everything we need to live in Christ Therefore, don't let sin interfere with you living in Christ. Allow Him to deal with the sin. Not through our own strength. Because when we do it through our own strength, what happens? We get hurt. We get hurt. You can't do it alone. You know, growing up, I used to watch Michael Jordan play basketball. And man, when he jumped, it was like he defied gravity, right? I mean, that boy could jump. But did he really defy gravity? No. I mean, eventually, after like 25 seconds it seemed like, he came down. 
See, this is a great illustration of us being in Christ. When we are in Christ, it's like we defy gravity. We fly through the air and we defy sin and we defy death. But when we get out of Christ, what happens? We come crashing down, don't we? We come crashing down. We come back to this earth. So the key is to be in Christ. In Christ. To draw us close to His grace. See, we have this responsibility in our life. And we've been talking about maturing lately. This morning I I sat down with Brandon and I said, Brandon, you have three more things that you have to start doing now. First off, when you walk into the house, your shoes go by the washer and dryer. They don't go in the middle of the hall. So every day when you come in, this is where your shoes go. That is your one, one chore that you have. Secondly, you need to stop dropping all your stuff in the hall. Because our father-in-law lives with us. We don't want him to trip going down. The, the hall is only so wide. You've got to keep stuff out of the hall. And thirdly, you've got to start picking up your clothes. Mommy's tired of going around the whole house picking up your clothes. And you go and you put it, and we showed them where to put them. You have three responsibilities. Uh, that's good for a four-year-old, four-and-a-half-year-old, to start learning that stuff now. When we become Christians... When we start to mature, we start to have responsibilities in our lives in certain areas. One of the responsibilities, as the Word says, is let the, where the Word of God dwell in you richly. It will change you. We have the responsibility to read the Word of God. If you want to mature, you do that. Another responsibility is let the, word of, I mean, let the peace of Christ rule your heart. In other words, all those emotions that we have, Christ needs to overwhelm those emotions so His emotion comes out and not ours. And that gives us peace of heart. We have a responsibility to pull on the full armor of God, to recognize that God is the protection of our lives, to set our our minds on the things above, I, I dare say that most of us get up in the morning and we don't even think about God. Unless it's, oh God, i got to get up. <laughs> we need to set our mind on the things above. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To know the truth. These are certain responsibilities that we have in our life if we want to mature in God. Because these things directly relate to the freedom that we enjoy in this life. And I'm not talking about American freedom. I'm talking about freedom from Satan. Freedom from sin. Because we don't want to join Satan. We don't want to join the the sinful nature. We want to join the Lord. See, Satan's primary weapon is, is lying to us. And he's so good at it. So the more we know the truth, the more we combat the lie. And that was the whole point of last week in talking about the the counterfeit money. The more we know what is real, when the counterfeit shows up, we go, wait, wait, something's wrong with that. We automatically know. So the question to end with this morning is this. Through Christ, are you doing the things that you need to do? To mature. Now, if you're sitting there going, no, or you're sitting there going, man, I feel guilty. I wish I would. No, no, no. I don't say it in that term. I want to encourage you to do those things. Encourage you to do those. 
through Christ are you doing the things that you need to do to mature. I didn't say through yourself. Through Christ. Paul has already addressed through yourself stuff. But through Christ, we can do mighty things. And we can mature in Him. And we can mature through Him. That is the key. That is the goal, right? And then when somebody, you know, when we get together with somebody and we rub off on them, who do they look like? Hopefully not like Alan. Because sometimes Alan doesn't look too good. Hopefully it's God. Hopefully it's Christ that rubs off on them. That's what we want to rub off on us. That's what we want to slosh out of us when we get hit. Because I guarantee you, we are going to get hit over and over in this world, right? And through His grace, may God come out of us when that happens. And that's a hard thing. But through Him, it happens. Well, let's stand and pray this morning as we come to a close here. Lord, I thank you for the grace that you have in our life. I I pray that we, as individuals and as a church, start living in the middle of that grace. That we run to you, not away from you. That we enjoy so many freedoms in this world because we are not beholden beholden to sin. We are not, uh, uh, you know, strapped down to sin. We are not chained to sin anymore, Lord, because you have set us free. And I pray that we learn how to live in that freedom, that we learn how to live in the light and not the darkness. Many of us feel like we, you know, that either there's a part of our life that, are, that is in the darkness or, or there's, you know, maybe we, we just tend to go toward the darkness, Lord, and we want to be in the light. And we ask for your help to to bring us, you know, gently nudge us and, and maybe even grab us by the hair and drag us into the light, Lord. Some of us need that. But most of the time, Lord, it's just a gentle nudge, and I pray that we respond to that nudge. Because you are willing, you are ready to bring us into the truth and into the light. That we can shine for the rest of this world that desperately needs you. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you and may you reflect Him in this world that desperately needs you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You guys have a wonderful week.